The Sword and the Idol Chapter 7 of A Dreamer's Tales by Lord Dunsany This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. It was a cold winter's evening, late in the Stone Age. The sun had gone down blazing over the plains of Thold. There were no clouds, only the chill blue sky and the imminence of stars, and the surface of the sleeping earth began to harden against the cold of the night. Presently from their lairs arose and shook themselves and went stealthily forth those of earth's children to whom it is the law to prowl abroad as soon as the dusk has fallen, and they went pattering softly over the plain, and their eyes shone in the dark and crossed and recrossed one another in their courses. Suddenly there became manifest in the midst of the plain that fearful portent of the presence of man, a little flickering fire, and the children of earth who prowl abroad by night looked sideways at it and snarled and edged away, all but the wolves who came a little nearer, for it was winter and the wolves were hungry, and they had come in thousands from the mountains, and they said in their hearts, We are strong. Around the fire a little tribe was encamped. They too had come from the mountains and from lands beyond them, but it was in the mountains that the wolves first winded them. They picked up bones at first that the tribe had dropped, but they were closer now and on all sides. It was Laws who had lit the fire. He had killed a small furry beast, hurling his stone axe at it, and had gathered a quantity of reddish-brown stones and had laid them in a long row and placed bits of the small beast all along it. Then he lit a fire on each side, and the stones heated, and the bits began to cook. It was at this time that the tribe noticed that the wolves who had followed them so far were no longer content with the scraps of deserted encampments. A line of yellow eyes surrounded them, and when it moved it was to come nearer. So the men of the tribe hastily tore up brushwood, and felled a small tree with their flint axes, and heaped it all over the fire that Laws had made, and for a while the great heap hid the flame, and the wolves came trotting in and sat down again on their haunches, much closer than before, and the fierce and valiant dogs that belonged to the tribe believed that their end was about to come while fighting, as they had long since prophesied it would. Then the flame caught the lofty stack of brushwood, and rushed out of it, and ran up the side of it, and stood up haughtily far over the top, and the wolves, seeing this terrible ally of man reveling there in his strength, and knowing nothing of his frequent treachery to his masters, went slowly away as though they had other purposes. And for the rest of that night the dogs of the encampment cried out to them, and besought them to come back. But the tribe lay down all around the fire under thick furs and slept and a great wind arose and blew into the roaring heart of the fire till it was red no longer but all pallid with heat with the dawn the tribe awoke laws might have known that after such a mighty conflagration nothing could remain of his small furry beast but there was hunger in him and little reason as he searched among the ashes what he found there amazed him beyond measure there was no meat there was not even his row of reddish-brown stones, but something longer than a man's leg and narrower than his hand was lying there like a great flattened snake. When Laws looked at its thin edges and saw that it ran to a point, he picked up stones to chip it and make it sharp. 
It was the instinct of laws to sharpen things. When he found that it could not be chipped, his wonderment increased. It was many hours before he discovered that he could sharpen the edges by rubbing them with a stone. But at last the point was sharp, and all one side of it except near the end where Laws held it in his hand. And Laws lifted it and brandished it, and the stone age was over. That afternoon in the little encampment, just as the tribe moved on, the stone age passed away, which for perhaps thirty or forty thousand years had slowly lifted man from among the beasts and left him with his supremacy beyond all hope of reconquest. It was not for many days that any other man tried to make for himself an iron sword by cooking the same kind of small furry beast that Laws had tried to cook. It was not for many years that any thought to lay the meat along stones as Laws had done, and when they did, being no longer on the plains of fold, they used flints or chalk. It was not for many generations that another piece of iron ore was melted, and the secret slowly guessed. Nevertheless, one of Earth's many veils was torn aside by laws to give us ultimately the steel sword and the plow, machinery, and factories. Let us not blame laws if we think that he did wrong, for he did all in ignorance. The tribe moved on until it came to water and there it settled down under a hill, and they built their huts there. Very soon they had to fight with another tribe, a tribe that was stronger than they. But the sword of laws was terrible, and his tribe slew their foes. You might make one blow at laws, but then would come one thrust from that iron sword, and there was no way of surviving it. No one could fight with laws, and he became ruler of the tribe in the place of Iz, who hitherto had ruled it with his sharp axe, as his father had before him. Now Laws begat Lo, and in his old age gave his sword to him, and Lo ruled the tribe with it, and Lo called the name of the sword Death, because it was so swift and terrible. And Is begat Erd, who was of no account, and Erd hated Lo, because he was of no account, by reason of the iron sword of Lo. One night Erd stole down to the hut of Lo, carrying his sharp axe, and he went very softly. But Lo's dog, Warner, heard him coming, and he growled softly by his master's door. When Erd came to the hut, he heard Lo talking gently to his sword, and Lo was saying, Lie still, Death, rest, rest, old sword. And then, What, again, Death? Be still be still. And then again, what, are thou hungry, death, or thirsty, poor old sword? Soon, death, soon, be still only a little. But Erd fled, for he did not like the gentle tone of Lo as he spoke to his sword. And Lo begat Lod, and when Lo died, Lod took the iron sword and ruled the tribe. And Erd begat Ith, was of no account like his father. Now when Lod had smitten a man or killed a terrible beast, Ith would go away for a while into the forest, rather than hear the praises that would be given to Lod. And once, as Ith sat in the forest waiting for the day to pass, he suddenly thought he saw a tree trunk looking at him as with a face, and Ith was afraid, for trees should not look at men. 
but soon Ith saw that it was only a tree, and not a man, though it was like a man. Ith used to speak to this tree and tell it about Lod, for he dared not speak to anyone else about him. And Ith found comfort in speaking about Lod. One day Ith went with his stone axe into the forest and stayed there many days. He came back by night, and the next morning when the tribe awoke, they saw something that was like a man and yet was not a man, and it sat on the hill with its elbows pointing outwards and was quite still, and Ith was crouching before it and hurriedly placing before it fruits and flesh, and then leaping away from it and looking frightened. Presently all the tribe came out to see, but dared not come quite close because of the fear that they saw in the face of Ith. And Ith went to his hut and came back again with a hunting spearhead and valuable small stone knives, and reached out and laid them before the thing that was like a man, and then sprang away from it. And some of the tribe questioned Ith about the still thing that was like a man, and Ith said, This is Ged. Then they asked, Who is Ged? And Ith said, Ged sends the crops and the rain, and the sun and the moon are Ged's. Then the tribe went back to their huts, but later in the day some came again, and they said to Ith, Ged is only as we are, having hands and feet. And Ith pointed to the right hand of Ged, which was not as his left, but was shaped like the paw of a beast. And Ith said, By this ye may know that he is not as any man. Then they said, He is indeed Ged. But Laud said, He speaketh not, nor doth he eat. And Ith answered, The thunder is his voice, and the famine is his eating. After this the tribe copied Ith, and brought little gifts of meat to Ged, and Ith cooked them before him that Ged might smell the cooking. One day a great thunderstorm came trampling up from the distance and raged among the hills, and the tribe all hid away from it in their huts. And Ith appeared among the huts, looking unafraid, and Ith said little, but the tribe thought that he had expected the terrible storm, because the meat that they had laid before Ged had been tough meat, and not the best parts of the beasts they slew. And Ged grew to have more honor among the tribe than Laud, and Laud was vexed. One night Laud arose when all were asleep, and quieted his dog, and took his iron sword, and went away to the hill. And he came on Ged in the starlight, sitting still, with his elbows pointing outwards, and his beast's paw, and the mark of the fire on the ground where his food had been cooked. And Laud stood there for a while in great fear, trying to keep to his purpose. Suddenly he stepped up close to Ged and lifted his iron sword, and Ged neither hit nor shrank. Then the thought came into Laud's mind, Ged does not hit, what will Ged do instead? And Laud lowered his sword and struck not, and his imagination began to work on that, what will Ged do instead? And the more Laud thought, the worse was his fear of Ged, and Laud ran away and left him. Laud still ruled the tribe in battle or in the hunt, but the chiefest spoils of battle were given to Ged, and the beasts that they slew were Ged's, and all questions that concerned war or peace, and questions of law and disputes, were always brought to him, and Ith gave the answers after speaking to Ged by night.
At last, if said, the day after an eclipse, that the gifts which they brought to Ged were not enough, that some far greater sacrifice was needed, that Ged was very angry even now, and not to be appeased by any ordinary sacrifice. And if said that to save the tribe from the anger of Ged, he would speak to Ged that night and ask him what new sacrifice he needed. Deep in his heart, Laud shuddered, for his instinct told him that Ged wanted Laud's only son, who should hold the iron sword when Laud was gone. No one would dare touch Laud because of the iron sword, but his instinct said in his slow mind again and again, Ged loves Ith. Ith has said so. Ith hates the sword-holders. Ith hates the sword-holders. Ged loves Ith. Evening fell, and the night came when Ith should speak with Ged, and Laud became ever surer of the doom of his race. He lay down, but could not sleep. Midnight had barely come when Laud arose and went with his iron sword again to the hill. And there sat Ged. Had Ith been to him yet? Ith, whom Ged loved, who hated the sword-holders. And Laud looked long at the old sword of iron that had come to his grandfather on the plains of Fold. Goodbye, old sword. And Laud laid it on the knees of Ged, then went away. And when Ith came, a little before dawn, the sacrifice was found acceptable unto Ged. End of The Sword and the Idol Chapter 7 of A Dreamer's Tales by Lord Dunsany Recording by David Mack